Hi, I'm Bill Arnold. Thank you for listening to this podcast. There are many more podcasts available at MyFaithRadio.com. Your support makes this possible. Thank you. Welcome to Afternoons with me. I'm Bill Arnold, and I am, uh, once again, so happy to be with you today. And uh, I want to thank uh, Rosie for her good work today, as always. And I've got Jeff Dorn here in studio. We're going to continue our series called, Who is This Jesus? And I cannot wait to continue. Do we have a jingle yet? Uh, no, we had uh, only one entry so far. Okay. So, And it was just more of a, uh, was more of a rhyme wasn't really a, a jingle set to music, but I want to thank the person that sent it in. It was very sweet. Very I love sweet. It. Yeah, I love it. I do too. So we'll continue because this, this study will go for a while. And if mm-hmm. somebody comes up with a, a great jingle, maybe you sing it into your iPhone and email it over uh, and we'd love to play it. <laughs> so yeah, that'd be fun. So we're going to continue our, our study. And if you missed uh, the first one, we talked about the divinity of Christ, and today I think, Jeff, we're going to focus a little bit on the humanity of Christ. We are. So there are kind of two sides of this coin that Jesus is both God and yet Jesus is a man. And so we started yes last time with this passage from Matthew 16 when his disciple he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? So we get this title, who is this Jesus? Well, his reply is very telling, and we talked about it quite a bit last time, when Peter says, you are the Christ, or you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And so we talked quite a bit about these two titles that we see in this passage, the Son of Man and the Son of God. And I described that actually I think the Son of Man title defines more his divinity than his humanity, actually, and that the Son of God title, where most teach that it teaches his divinity, I actually think it describes more his humanity. So we won't go through all those again, but it's a very interesting study to see what does the Son of God mean. And remember, Adam was called the Son of God because he was made by God. This is now important for today. Adam is called the Son of God because he was made as a the result of a direct creative act of God. Angels are called sons of God. They were made by God. Believers are called children of God or sons of God because they've been made new by God. We are a new creation. So we, in our new saved state, are the result of a direct creative act of God. And then finally, we have Jesus, who is the son of God. Why is he the son of God? Because Jesus was made by God. Now, hold on. Jesus was made by God in his incarnation, in his body. His earthly body was formed in the womb of the virgin. So that's kind of the theme for today. And we saw this in one of the the primary passages. If we're going to talk about the divinity and or the humanity of Jesus, we have to start with John chapter 1, which is this wonderful picture of in the beginning was the word, And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And we know from down later in in chapter 1, in verse 14, it says that the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Verse 17, it's through this person, Jesus Christ. So we know the Word 
is Jesus. We know that he was with God, and we know that he was God. So uh, the, the divinity of Christ is such an important understanding in Christianity that Jesus is God. In fact, when people, some who have complaints about, in fact, I was, I, I shouldn't, uh, maybe I will. Dennis Prager, I heard him talking, who's a wonderful commentator. I love him to death, he, but he's a Jew. He's not a believer, but he loves Christians, loves Christianity and stuff. But he said, generally Jews don't have a problem with the claim of Jesus being Messiah. They have a problem with Jesus claiming to be God. And I thought that was an interesting distinction hmm. that, uh, but clearly in John chapter 10, Jesus did claim to be God. He says, we are not stoning you, the, the Pharisees say, not for any good work you have done, but for blasphemy, because you, a mere man, claimed to be God. Hmm. So the people around Jesus obviously believed that this guy was claiming to be God. Uh, finally, we talked briefly about this great uh, philosophical argument uh, of the choices, that if Jesus was God, he was either telling the truth or he was lying. And if he was lying, he either knew he was lying or he was crazy, didn't know he was lying and really thought he was God and wasn't. Uh, so that is where C.S. Lewis gets this famous argument of liar, lunatic, or Lord. And if he is God and that is true, well, then the only intellectual you know, conclusion that you can draw is that he actually is God. In other words, Jesus did not leave it open to believe that he was simply a good teacher or some kind of good prophet from God. He was God, and he claimed to be God. All right, so there's a brief summary of what we kind of did last time. This time, I want to focus on the humanity of Christ. Now, we're going to start in the Old Testament, actually. Because in the Old Testament, we actually see God in the form of a man. So there are a number of these, and they're generally called theophanies or Christophanies. Now, a theophany is basically an appearance of God in the Old Testament, uh, which doesn't have to be in human form, but can be. Specifically, I want to talk about uh, what theologians call a Christophany, which is the manifestation of God in the Old Testament in human form. Right, So there's a slight distinction there, mm -hmm. specifically Christophanies. Well, where do we see God appearing to men as a person, as a man? Well, we see it in Genesis 18 when God appears to Abraham as a man. Abraham, in Genesis 14, meets this guy named Melchizedek. Now, Melchizedek, we don't get the full t picture until we get to Hebrews. He's a man without mother or father without agency. He's called the, the Prince of Salem, uh, Jerusalem. And uh, it just appears that this is not an ordinary man. I believe it's a pre-incarnate Christophany of Jesus. Abraham, by the way, also gives him a tenth, uh, which is kind of this tithe, which, of course, is what God demanded from Israel. Jacob, another one, in Genesis chapter 32, Jacob wrestles with God. Well, in Scripture, it says no one has seen God, and if you see God, you will die. And yet Jacob wrestles with God. Well, who was Jacob wrestling with? I think he was wrestling with Jesus, a Christophany, the pre-incarnate physical appearance of Jesus Christ. Another one is Moses. In Exodus 33, it says that when he met with God in the tent of meetings, he met with him face to face. And the passage says, 
as one speaks to a friend. Well, that creates a very clear picture that Moses was sitting across from someone, speaking to them face to face. Who was Moses in the tent of meeting with? I think it was the pre-incarnate Jesus Christ. It's interesting because in the next verse, uh, well, not next verse, in about uh, 10 verses later, Moses actually asked to see God's glory. And he says, no, you can't see my face for no one can see me and live. And so you've got this picture of he's just meeting with God face to face. And yet God says, you can't see my face and live. And so how do we reconcile that? I think the the person that he was meeting with was a Christophany, the pre-incarnate Jesus. Joshua before the commander of the army of the Lord in Joshua chapter 5, I think, is Jesus. And that fourth man in the furnace, mm-hmm. remember when? Oh, yeah. Yeah, and I think that was one like a son of man, and I think that was the pre-incarnate Jesus. Now, there's one more that I like to point out when we talk about this, because it's just the picture of Moses before the burning bush. And if you've seen the movie, Charlton Heston, you know, all the different movies when this is depicted, there's only a bush that's burning. But that's actually not what the passage says. The passage says, there the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames from within the bush. Now, how many times have you seen that image and there was actually an angel of the Lord standing within the bush? And hardly ever. It's hardly Mm -hmm. ever depicted that way. And yet that's what the passage says. You see the burning bush and the voice coming out. Correct. And that's all you see. Yeah. I think there was the angel of the Lord standing within that bush that was aflame. And that angel of the Lord was the pre-incarnate Jesus Christ. Mm. A Christophany. Isn't that cool? That's very cool. Yeah. So, and actually, I'm sorry. Actually, if you search the internet, you'll actually find lots of artists who have actually depicted it that way. Okay. Question came in, what about early church creeds saying that he was begotten and not made? I don't know the not made part in the early creeds. Begotten, I get. I mean, well, can we look that up at the break and I'll sure. try to find we'll try to find that yeah. example. But yeah. we're going to show that he he that's where I'm going. What was conceived in the virgin was made by God. So that's where we're going to go with this and I'll bring up some passages to show that. All right, let's take a break. We'll come back uh, in just a minute. We're talking to Jeff Verdorn, and we're back into our series. This is the second installment of Who is This Jesus? And we're uh, very excited about all we're going to learn in the days and weeks and months ahead. So we'll be uh, right back in just a minute. Faith Radio and Afternoons with Bill podcasts are available because of listener support. If you are a supporter, thank you so much. Becoming a supporter today by visiting MyFaithRadio.com. The way they keep on telling me time and time again, boy, you never win. You never win. But the voice of truth. So glad you're with me today. We're talking to my friend and Bible teacher, Jeff Verdorn, and we are back in our series of Who is This Jesus? And Jeff, right before the break, we were going to do a little research on a question that came in, and it was about the begotten, not made. What about 
early church creeds saying that he was begotten, not made. I think the Nicene Creed came out in AD 325. Yeah, so we looked it up. Now that I read it, it's like I've read this before. It's now a little more familiar. And the the meaning is what they're basically saying is that Jesus, this is what we're going to talk about today, actually, that Jesus was incarnate into the womb of the Virgin and was not made in the sense that he wasn't created. Jesus did not have his beginning in the womb of the Virgin. That's exactly what we were just describing a moment ago, that we see Jesus pre-incarnate before his incarnation. So before he was born, Jesus existed. So there's passages like, before Abraham was, I am. So I, I, in reading this in a couple of these uh, sites, it's basically they're saying that Jesus was not created when he came to this earth. So he, exist, he pre-existed his incarnation. All right. And I totally agree with that. Good. Thank you for that. So let's talk about his incarnation. Uh, this is a New Testament description. We see it when it says, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and shall bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which translate means God with us, Matthew one twenty three, And so Mary, I, this is always a, a side, Mary says to the angel when he says to Mary, you're going to have the son, she says, how can this be since I am a, a virgin? Do you remember when the angel announced that John the Baptist was going to be born and, and Zach, Zacchaeus said, how is this going to happen or how can I know it's true? And he got judged for it. And a lot of people say that Mary's asking the exact same question. Well, she's not. Zacchaeus was saying, well, basically, how can I believe you? Mary is not questioning that this is going to happen. She believes the angel that she is going to give birth as a virgin. But she is asking the question, well, I don't understand because if I remember my, you know, my elementary biology, uh, I can't be pregnant. So that was Mary's question, a little different than Zacchaeus's question. So, but how was Jesus conceived, brought forth in the womb of the virgin? Matthew one twenty says this, that after he had considered this, the angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. Now, many believe or teach or have concluded from this verse that somehow God used the egg or the ovum of Mary and somehow fertilized that egg in some kind of reproductive kind of way, and that's where Jesus came from. And I think the term we were talking about earlier, son of man, son of God, being the son of God, is that God made the body of Jesus in the womb of the virgin. I don't think this is, now this is debated, I don't think God used any of Mary's DNA in the formation of Jesus in her womb. Do you see what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. I don't think it was a reproductive act in any way, shape, or form. Some will argue that, well, what about the seed? What about the seed from Genesis 3.16? It talks about the seed of the woman. Galatians 3.16, however, says that the seed is not the seed of the woman, but the seed is Christ. So that argument doesn't hold fast, and I won't go into the details of that, but it doesn't hold through. Others say, well, wait a minute, God could use the DNA of Mary because sin is passed through the man. And it's like, well, wait a minute, show me that verse, will you? I contend that if God would have used any human, existing human DNA to form Jesus, he would have inherited the fallen nature of mankind. And so he had to create Jesus just as Adam was formed from the dust of the ground, 
without any pre-existing DNA, so I believe Jesus was created in the womb of the virgin without any pre-existing DNA. Jesus is called, after all, the second Adam. And so this word conceived in the Greek, this, I, this is such a fascinating conversation, but it's, it's, it's not critical, obviously, to our understanding of Jesus's incarnation, but I just find it so fascinating. This word conceived can mean figuratively brought forth, not procreated or, or, or from reproduction, but just brought forth or made. So Jesus being the son of God, it does not mean that God had a son through reproductive processes. It means that God made this person of Jesus in the womb of the virgin. Are you, are you, do you get the distinction I'm trying to make I do, here? yeah. Yeah. So I don't think Jesus, even though a lot of us see him as the offspring of God, he's really not the offspring. His body in his carnation was just made by God. Mm-hmm. It's kind of a technical argument, but I, I find it very interesting. Mm-hmm. So. So just as Adam was made from the dust, so too Jesus was made in the womb of the virgin. The first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam, Jesus Christ, a living spirit, 1 Corinthians 15.45. So. I have one small correction to make because yeah. I, I, I heard you say something, and I just want to make sure that it got corrected because when you were talking about the father of John, the Baptist, right, and Elizabeth? Yes. You said Zacchaeus. Yes. You meant Zechariah, I meant right? Zechariah. Okay, good. Thank you. Yeah. I just want to make sure that people didn't... Yeah, Zacchaeus, Zacchaeus. Uh, Zacchaeus climbed the tree yeah, for his Lord to see, right? Yeah. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, yeah. All right. Thank Sorry. you, Zechariah. Yeah. Um, where are we going? Okay, so humanity of Christ, his incarnation. There's actually a number of core passages that if we're going to talk about the humanity of Jesus, we have to go through and look at. So it's kind of John 1, which we already looked at, Hebrews 1, Hebrews 2, Philippians 2, and Colossians 1. If you can remember those, these are great Trinitarian verses and passages, and uh, we are going to look at them through the lens of the humanity of Christ. So Hebrews 1, the Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. So Jesus in his humanity is the exact represent, representation of God's being. Wow. Hebrews 2 says, continues and says, Since children have flesh and blood, so too he shared in their humanity, so that by his death he might destroy him who holds the power of death, that is the devil. For this reason, he had to be made like his brothers in every way. Cool. That means that Jesus became like us, became a man, just like you, just like me, just like everybody else. We often don't think of Jesus as a man. I think Christianity, rightfully, in emphasizing his divinity, but I think they sometimes tend to forget about his humanity, that he was really a man. So I want to talk about that in the last few minutes before the break. Yeah, Jeff, how do we explain human DNA when it comes to Jesus? Well, I see it as just as God made Adam without any pre-existing DNA, the first man. Okay. The second man, Jesus, was also formed in the womb of the virgin without any pre-existing human DNA. I contend that if he used existing DNA in any way, we some he, Jesus would have somehow inherited the sin nature from the falls. So he had to make a, a body like Adam's. Before so, the fall. Okay. You see? Yep. Yep. So 
God made Jesus' body in the womb of the virgin. And that is precisely what we were talking about last time, is the definition, the very definition of being a son of God, meaning you came forth from God. God made him. So Adam's called the son of God. Jesus is called the son of God. So I don't think he used any existing DNA. And yet, next passage, Philippians 2 says this, who, Jesus, being the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on the cross. So Jesus, God, is now a man. Romans 8.3 says, For what the law was powerless to do in that it was weakened by the sinful nature, God did by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful man to be a sin offering. And so he condemns sin in sinful man. Now Romans 8 brings up a very interesting question. If he was made in the likeness of sinful man, what about Jesus's sin? Well, we don't have to read too far into the New Testament, and we see this this very declared truth that Jesus was without sin. So 2 Corinthians 5 says God made him to be no who had no sin to be sin for us. Hebrews 4 says that he was tempted in every way, just like every other human being is tempted, and yet was without sin. 1 John 3, 5 says that in him is no sin. So we have a man, very much a man, just as you, just as me, was tempted just like you and just like me. But only Jesus walked perfectly Hmm. by faith 24-7. Anytime those thoughts came in from the outside world, he took those thoughts captive, like Paul talks about, we should do, and he set them aside. He never acted on that temptation. So he was tempted but was without sin. And by the way, therefore, he is the perfect, spotless lamb of God without blemish, mm-hmm. just like was the requirement at the Passover. Right. Yep. Wow. Without sin. So Jesus was a man. He slept. He got tired. He ate. He got hungry. Right? He felt pain. He was tempted, like we just talked about. He got sad. Remember the shortest verse in the Bible, Jesus wept, but he laughed. He was a man. You know, I, I, I jokingly say, and some people think I'm, this is almost blasphemous, Jesus had to go to the bathroom. He was a person. These are the characteristics of a person. He sweat. <laughs> You know, he's a person, he's a man. And I don't I think that we sometimes forget that Jesus felt pain and 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 that this gets really important when you get to the cross because when those when that lash was was impaling his back and when those nails went through his hands and feet, he would have felt those just as any man would have felt those. And yeah. We'll take a break. We'll continue back on our study, Who is This Jesus? with Jeff Verdorn. If you uh, are just joining us, this is our second conversation we've had with Jeff. We're going to continue the study for a while. We'll take a short break and be right back.
It's the Afternoon Show with Bill Arno. Drive time, drive time. Let's get it started. Jump in your car. What's for dinner? It's the Afternoon Show with Bill Arno. Welcome back to the show. So glad to have Jeff Verdorn with me today. We're talking about who is this Jesus. And I said uh, to Jeff during the break, I have to correct you again, Jeff. Two times in one day? Two times in one day, in the oh. first half hour. Okay, what's this one? Well, you said that the shortest verse in Scripture was John eleven thirty five, which is Jesus, Jesus wept. wept. But I talked to a Greek expert, and he said there are fewer letters in First Thessalonians 5, 16. That's rejoice always. Oh. That's actually a shorter amount of letters so it would technically, I think, be the shortest verse. But, you know, we're splitting hairs right now. That is, I've never read that. I've never heard that. Well, you learn a lot on the afternoon of the that's, Arnold Show. I like that. Okay, <laughs> I'm going to have to remember that. I can't that. say that with a straight face because I just said that. Anyway. That's pretty much universal that everybody says that's the shortest verse in the Bible. They do say that, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Right. but it's not entirely true. Yep. So Jesus as a man is our discussion, right? And I think one of the po- most powerful pictures of Jesus as a man is in the garden of Gethsemane. And it's there when he said to them, my soul is, when he comes back, he says to his disciples, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. And it's like, there is a picture of a man in distress, isn't it? And remember what he says, Lord, if there's any other way, take this cup from me. But in the end, he says, not my will but your will be done. And in that moment, we get this powerful glimpse of Jesus's humanity. And and here it is. My, my In my next notes, I have Jesus wept, which is no longer the shortest <laughs> verse in the Bible. So <laughs> That's okay. We could, but yeah, it's, it's this idea that Jesus um, also cried. He was sad. And like I said at the start of this segment, I think we emphasize the divinity, rightly so, that Jesus is God. I mean, that was all last uh, last time on air, that the divi- Jesus is divine. He's God with us. But let's not also de-emphasize, if you will, let's remember his humanity and what that really, really meant. So, And Jeff, you're completely okay with people disagreeing with you, right? Mm-hmm. And there's always going to be different perspectives. And uh, Jeff wrote in and said that Carl Kirby and Answers in Genesis deals with the subject. Jesus had DNA. Jesus ate food and drank water and had blood. The question becomes, what is its components? Yeah, so I I, I didn't mean to uh, suggest that Jesus did not have DNA. He was made like us in every way and had DNA. It's just kind of the... Where did the DNA come from? What was the source of the DNA? Right. Was Mary the source? Was her egg somehow the source of Jesus's body in the womb of the Virgin? Mm-hmm. So, uh, so I agree with that. So I, I don't think I'm. I, I would disagree with oh, him. Oh, good. Yeah. 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 Because I've already had to correct you twice today. <laughs> and Jeff, frankly, I don't know if I have the energy to connect you, correct yeah. you a third time. Well, three times and you're out, right? So, well. I didn't say that. No, I, <laughs> <laughs> I didn't say it, but I'm thinking it. <laughs> All right. I'm going to watch my step now. Right. Let's go to the appearance of Jesus. All right. Say this what? is the appearance okay. of Jesus. What did he look like? This is one of these kind of fascinating. Did you ever, did your grandparents 
have a picture of Jesus up, you know, where the with, with the the one with the, the sure. beard and the long flowy hair, yeah. and so I, everybody had that yeah. picture somewhere. It's a classic, right? a classic. Or you see Jesus with the long brown hair holding the lamb. Uh, it, there are endless depictions of Jesus in art and media and so on. Most of the time, I would argue, they're relatively attractive, right? Yeah, it's he's a a good looking man. And it's interesting because there's one Christian that actually said, well, what would have Jesus really looked like? Well, he would have looked like a first century man. And so he did a composite of what were the characteristics of a first century Jewish man. That's what Jesus would have looked like yeah. and, and made that depiction. And there's an interesting passage in Isaiah that says this of Jesus. He grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. From this passage, I would argue that Jesus probably wasn't that quote-unquote good-looking of a guy. Maybe he didn't have those chiseled features you see in the picture. Exactly. With the killer blue eyes, right? That's exactly Mm -hmm. right. So there is no beauty or majesty to attract us to him because I think God understood that we are attracted to attractive people. Uh, We might follow someone because of the way they look. And I don't think anybody was following Jesus because of the way he looked. I think it was because of what he said Mm -hmm. and what he did. And uh, so we have that little clue, and that's really the only clue that we have about what Jesus looked like. Mm. Now, what about his name? I think we could actually spend a whole semester on the name of God or the name of Jesus because it's such a fascinating discussion. Hebrew and Aramaic, Jesus' name was most likely the name Yeshua. This is basically the definition of Yeshua in Hebrew and, and, and Aramaic. They're basically the same. Is Yahweh, the Lord, is salvation. So if someone was calling out Jesus' name to him, his scholars tend to agree that they were probably using the name Yeshua. All right. However, the New Testament was written in the Greek language. And in the Greek, Yeshua becomes Iesus. And that Iesus is then translated into the English as Jesus. And so that's where we in English get the name Jesus. Now, I, I know some Christians that don't will refuse to use the name Jesus because they say, well, Jesus was never called Jesus. He was called Yeshua. So they insist on calling him Yeshua. That's fine if you want to call Jesus Yeshua. It's fine if you want to call him Iesus. In fact, if you travel around the world, you're going to find many different names for this name, Yeshua. In Albania, he's Jesus. In Armenia, he's Hisus. In China, he's Yisu. In Spanish, he's Jesus. In Dutch, he's Yazus. In Italian, he's Jesu. In French, he's Shezu. And in Russia, he's he's Isus. So whether you call him Isus or Jesus or whatever, he knows who you're talking to. Yeah. And so you can call him Jesus. You can call him Yeshua. 
You can call him by any language. It's just a language thing, and he knows who you're talking to. I got a couple of things I need to correct you on, but I'm, uh, I'm going to give you a pass. On oh, that no, one, was it no, no, no. I'm my just, pronunciation, or what did I? No, no, I'm just going to let, let it go. Uh, okay, yeah, good. I'm full of grace. Boy, good. Yeah, thanks. So what's in a name? Well, she will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus. Now, that's in Greek, remember, so it's Iesus because he will save his people from their sins. That is what Yeshua means. Yahweh saves, or the Lord is salvation. In Acts 4, it says salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to man, which we must be saved, Acts 4.12. That's why that name is so powerful, because it has so much power. Nothing divides a room faster than the name of Jesus. You know, if you look around, there are, in, in governments, in military, in, in prayer sessions, and, and all over, there are, I've heard this so often, you can say a prayer, but just don't say the prayer in the name of Jesus, or don't mention Jesus. It's like, wow, so you're going to allow a prayer, but you're not going to allow it in his name. Mm, That's why, the power. Then, then why pray it? I don't Then why pray it? But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. This is the power of the name. So I've been asked over the years in classes, well, how should I pray? Do I pray to the Father? Do I pray to the Son? Do I pray to the Holy Spirit? John says that if you, whatever uh, you ask in my name, so the Father will be glorified, he will give it to you, basically. And some people say, well, if I pray in the name of Jesus, I'm going to get it. And I, I, that's, that's just not what it means. It's not some kind of magic formula to give power of your prayers. This is not the get anything you want close of a prayer, right? As long as I say it in Jesus' name, then it will come true. I think when we pray in the name of Jesus, we are praying that which is consistent with his character and his nature, who this Jesus is. So try this, you know, Lord, I want a yacht in Jesus' name. Yeah, is that Jesus's nature and character and his will that you have something in this world? Or what about, Lord, I pray for my friend Joe, who's lost, and I pray that you work circumstances in his life that he might come to know you and be saved in Jesus's name. Mm-hmm. See the difference? Oh, yeah. So I think it's there is no other name under heaven, that, like Acts says. Do you know that the name of Jesus— is the only religious figure's name anywhere in the world that's used as a curse word. Mm-hmm. So that that nobody says, oh, Buddha, or oh, whatever. But Jesus' name mm-hmm. is used. If you're the enemy, and you know it's only that name has power, are you going to instill people to use any other religious person's nope. name as a nope. curse? Never. It's not going to happen. But Jesus' name has power. Now... When we get, I see we're going to go to break. I want to do this list. And Jesus, as we've discussed, we see in the Old Testament. Next time we're going to look at some of the first coming prophecies for Christ. In fact, I might be able to get to a couple of them here by the end of this hour. Jesus is described in every single book of the Bible, from Genesis to Revelation. If you're looking, you can find the person of Jesus. And it's a very powerful list. Can we start? Should we start the list now or do you want to go to break? Let's do the list now. 
and make sure you give a nice pace so you so you don't go too fast because people are going to want to take this in. Yeah, there, I it, would help you with it, but I don't have the list. You don't have the list? No, I never got it. Oh, you emailed it to me, and I never received it. At, at the okay, I, I blame computers on everything. Yeah, they're they're tough. So this will take a couple minutes. Let's just go through this because it's it's just so powerful when you look for Jesus in every single book of the Bible. In Genesis, he's the seed of the woman. In Exodus, he's the Passover lamb. In Leviticus, he's the anointed high priest. In Numbers, he's the star of Jacob. In Deuteronomy, he's the prophet like Moses. In Joshua, he's the angel of the Lord. In Judges, he is the judge. In Ruth, he's the kinsman redeemer. In 1 Samuel, he's the seed of David. In 2 Samuel, the trusted prophet. In 1 Kings, he's the Lord God of Israel. In 2 Kings, he's the reigning king. In Chronicles, he's the God of our salvation. In Ezra, the Lord of heaven and earth. In Nehemiah, he's the rebuilder of all things. In Esther, the God of providence. In Job, he's the risen and returning redeemer. And in Psalms, he's the anointed son and the shepherd. In Proverbs, he is the wisdom of God. In Ecclesiastes, the one above the sun. In Song of Solomon, he's the beautiful bridegroom. In Isaiah, he's the virgin-born Emmanuel, the wonderful counselor, mighty God, eternal father and prince of peace. In Jeremiah, he's our righteousness. In Lamentations, he's the faithful one. In Ezekiel, he is the Lord is there. In Daniel, he's the son of man. In Hosea, the king of the resurrection. In Joel, the giver of the spirit. In Amos, he's the God of hosts. In Obadiah, the destroyer of the proud. In Jonah, he's the risen prophet. In Micah, he's the Bethlehem-born God of Jacob. In Nahum, he's the avenging God. In Habakkuk, he's the pure and anointed one. Zephaniah, the king of Israel. In Haggai, the desire of all nations. In Zechariah, the pierced one. And in Malachi, he's the son of righteousness. In Matthew, he's the king of the Jews. Emmanuel, God with us. In Mark, he's a servant. In Luke, he's the son of the Most High. In John, he is the Word, the Lamb of God, the Teacher, the Savior of the world, the Bread of Life, the Light of the world, the Door, the Good Shepherd, and the Resurrection and the Life. In Acts, he's the Ascended Lord. In Romans, our Righteousness. In 1 Corinthians, he's our Resurrection. In 2 Corinthians, he's the God of all comfort. Galatians, the Redeemer from the Law. In Ephesians, he's the head of the church. Philippians, the supplier of every need. Colossians, the image of the invisible God. In 1 Thessalonians, he's the coming Christ and the soon coming king. In 2 Thessalonians, he is the consuming Christ. In 1 Timothy, he's the savior of sinners. In 2 Timothy, the mediator between God and man. In Titus, he is the blessed hope. Philemon, the payer of our debt. In Hebrews, he's the anointed heir of all things and our high priest. In James, he's the judge standing at the door. In First Peter, he's the unblemished and spotless lamb. In Second Peter, he is the giver of all we need. In First and Second and Third John, he is the word of life. In Jude, he's the only wise God, our Savior. And in the book of Revelations, he is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Amen. Amen. You know, we should post that online. I just had somebody ask if we would do that. Maybe we can work that into the podcast. 
But we will take a break and continue with uh, more of Jeff's study on who is this Jesus. We'll be right back. Thanks so much for listening to Afternoons with Bill Arnold. Hey, I'm Susie Larson. If you enjoy what you're finding here, consider subscribing to some of our other Faith Radio podcasts, like mine, for instance. You can search Susie Larson Live at MyFaithRadio.com or wherever you listen to podcasts. Hit subscribe and have a great day. We are continuing our study on who is this Jesus with Jeff Ferdorn. And that was an outstanding uh, list that you gave just before the break. And if you just jumped in your car and tuned into the show, thank you for joining um, me today. And Jeff is my guest, and we're continuing our series on who is this Jesus. And we see Jesus in every book of the Bible, and Jeff just went through that. Definitely worth going to MyFaithRadio.com, checking out the podcast if you've missed any of it, because it's really, really good. All right, let's jump over to Colossians, Jeff. Well, I love this passage. I just kind of want to put a bow on all this, because the supremacy of Jesus Christ in all things is just so evident from the beginning of the end. And I, I love this Colossians 1 passage, which in, in a lot of Bibles is actually entitled The Supremacy of Christ. Starting in verse 15, it says that he, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation, for by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. I remember hearing one commentator saying that if God ever took his mind off his creation, everything would just fall apart and that he sustains all things by his powerful word. If he ever took his mind off creation, I think think matter would just float apart in some way, shape, or form because it's in him that not only did everything get its start, but all things hold together. It's a powerful passage. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning And the firstborn among the dead, that means he's the first to be resurrected to glory. Jesus is the only one to be glorified to date. But you know, one of the great promises of Scripture is because he has been glorified, so too we, his followers, believers in him, will also be glorified. Uh, Paul says it this way, that we did bear the likeness of the man from earth, the first man, Adam, so too we shall bear the likeness of the man from heaven. We will receive a glorified body just like Christ. But he's the first. He's the firstborn. He's the only one to be glorified to date. For, so that in everything he might have supremacy. Verse 19, for God was pleased to have his fullness dwell in him, in his incarnation, in this earthly body and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or in heaven, by making peace by his blood shed on the cross. That's this Christ. I mean, 
we can't even begin to really answer this question, who is this Jesus? But that's what we're trying to do. So we gain an understanding of who he is, that he is God in the flesh, and he came as a man born of the virgin and yet died. We will get to the atoning work, by the way, this last line, this blood on the cross, at a, at a future session. We'll talk about what that means on the cross and what he did on the cross. And, and by the way, why he had to be sinless in order to be that perfect sacrifice for our sins. But this Jesus has a name that there's power in, salvation in. There's no other name by which we can be saved except for the name of Jesus. So if you do not know Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior this day, he is the creator of all things. He loves you with a love. In fact, God says that he demonstrated his love for us in this, that while we were yet sinners, Christ came and died on a cross for us, and that whosoever believes in him, whosoever trusts in him for their eternal salvation, he will saved and save. And once you're saved, he says he will hold you in his hands. He will give you his Holy Spirit as a deposit guaranteeing your inheritance. And uh, you will have his peace. You'll be at peace with God and you will have the peace of God, which transcends all understanding for the rest of your days. Because what he has begun in you, he will surely carry it out. And God declares then that nothing in all creation can separate you from his love in Christ Jesus for all of eternity. And that's a pretty big deal. Yeah. And I love John fourteen twenty seven. Peace is what I leave with you. It is my own peace I give you. I don't give it as the world gives. Do not be worried and upset. Do not be afraid. Mm. Yeah, there's this idea in Scripture of peace with God that we've been reconciled with God. We're mm-hmm. no longer far away. We've right. been brought near. But then the peace of God that we have now this day. You know, I, I know a lot of Christians, and they deal with stress and the world and so on so much better. The world tends to be anxious and upset and angry. And you know what? I know a lot of believers that just whatever this world throws at them, they always have God's peace in their heart. It's a very powerful thing. Jeff, it's been fun uh, today talking about the humanity of Jesus. I I wish there were more places in Scripture where we had little windows of those moments. I know when I saw the Passion of the Christ, there was a scene when I think it was eight-year-old Jesus or seven-year-old Jesus was running and fell and skinned his knee, and he started to cry a little bit. And Mary came over and just kind of gave him a bear hug and comforted him. And, well, if he's 100% human, that probably happened. And there's something about that that is just so compelling to to watch, even on the screen. Even though there's no place in Scripture where it says that happened, we can only imagine things like that did occur. Fair? Absolutely. Yes. He would have had a childhood. By the way, probably a, a fairly rough childhood compared to our standards today, living in the first century in Galilee mm-hmm. and growing up. Um, yeah, it would have been tough. Food, uh, injury, um, you know, uh, housing, all these issues that we have in life today, his family and he would have had growing up. Mm-hmm. And then you talk about, you know, him hanging with the 12 and you, you think they're moving together all the time. They're with each other all the time. <laughs> And they're sitting around a campfire at night and maybe they're having some laughs because that's what 12 guys would do. They would probably share some stories or or have some playfulness, right? Yes. And because God created us in his image and we love to laugh 
and that's a therapeutic thing, and it releases endorphins in our brain. I can only imagine there was some of that activity as well. We don't have it recorded, but I love to think about it. Absolutely. Uh, There's this moment in The Chosen in the first season at the end where he's with the woman at the well, very powerful scene, and she says, I'm going to go tell everybody about you, and she runs off. And that's biblical. That's in the story of of the account with Jesus and the woman of the well. But then the camera moves in on his face, this guy pointing Jesus. And he says, I was kind of counting on that. <laughs> and he kind of smiles. And it's like, that's not in the Bible. But, I, you know, you got to give them political license. And it was just this kind of moment where it makes Jesus seem very human, yeah. if you will. Yeah. And when it comes to talking about the humanity of Christ, I think it makes a lot of people very nervous. It can. And that's what we were talking about earlier, that we are so rightfully want to emphasize that Jesus is God in the flesh. Because if he's not God in the flesh— right? Everything of Christianity changes. So we need to emphasize that. But we also need to remember his humanity. And I think that makes what he did and how he lived and was without sin and walked by perfect faith and died on the cross even that much more significant. Mm -hmm. And I will close with this. Um, And I can't, I'm trying to find out here it is. And in John twenty one twenty five, it says Jesus did many other things as well. Mm-hmm. If every one of them were written down, I suppose that the whole world would not have room for the books that would be written. So we can only imagine there's all kinds of stuff. Good point. We don't know about, but definitely exists and we'll know about it in glory. Absolutely. And boy, will that be fun. All right, Jeff, thanks so much. Thanks, I'm Bill. looking forward to the uh, next time we talk about who is this Jesus. And thank you all that have shown up today that tuned into Faith Radio that support us, that care about us, that um, do nice things for us, that send us nice notes, that support us financially. You are simply the best. Thank you. And have a great night. I look forward to our time tomorrow. I'll see you then. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.